0: We're going to touch on a a pretty familiar Christmas part of the Christmas story today. Uh, One of my favorite parts, and it's only recorded in one gospel, it's in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to talk about the the magi or the wise men, the guys that came from the east and were following a star, and that star led them right to Jesus. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 2 verses one through two, I have a couple points. We're gonna just kinda walk through this story together today and uh, hopefully um, I can pull out a a couple patterns that we see in scripture from this story. So Matthew chapter two verses one and two says this, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. Let's bow our heads and just pray that uh, that God would have His way today. Father, thank you so much for Your Word. Thank you for all that You do. Thank you for uh, opening our hearts. We already feel that through the worship and the uh, exhortation that our hearts are open and just ready for Your Word. I pray that. This word would go forth, it would settle on good ground, and it would bring something forth in our life uh, that is good and pleasing to you. Help us to apply it to our lives. Your word that's gonna go forth in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated. Uh, Just a quick message to Pastor, he called me this morning. If you're watching right now, just wanna say we're praying for you, hope you feel better. Uh, If not, I'm sure he'll watch it at some point and, you know, He's happy to know that we're praying for him. But uh, what we're gonna talk about today is really the story of the wise men. And how is this story applied to us spiritually uh, even today? So if you know anything about uh, the birth of Jesus, this story, uh, specifically this part, the Magi, what a, what a like fantastical word. <laughs> when you read that, doesn't it almost sound like you're reading a fantasy story or something out of J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or, you know, something fantastical is about to happen. Well, let me tell you a little bit about these guys. So at first, um, you read Magi and you might initially think, uh, well, that word is is the core word where we get the word magician from, but it's not really uh, like they were magicians or soothsayers or uh, like in the Old Testament, you would, you saw Uh, In the book of Exodus, when the plagues started happening and Pharaoh called forth the magicians and they could do some of the the plagues that that God had sent to them, it's it's not really like that at all. The Magi were actually very well-educated men. They were uh, kind of like philosophers in the East. So similar to like Plato, Aristotle, Socrates that you might know from Greek philosophy, these guys were essentially the philosophers of the Eastern world. So, you know, there's, there's some speculation that they were from Babylon or that they were from even a farther East country, um, you know, somewhere in Asia. Like, nobody really knows because this story is only recorded in one gospel, and there's not a whole lot of extra biblical uh, history to back these guys up. But essentially, what we the feeling that we get when we read this story is that these were men, they were probably astronomers. They studied the sky. They studied the stars. They studied the cosmos. And if they were philosophers or well-educated men, the reason why they studied the stars was to answer uh, deep philosophical questions: What's the meaning of life? What is there a God? And if there is a God, then how did He create the world? If there is a God, then how does He interact with humanity? It's it, you know that's just speculation. But if these guys were philosophers, like Uh, Most historians or Bible scholars agree they were. These were the kind of guys they were. They were deep thinkers. And they wanted answers to life's questions. So all of a sudden, they're studying the sky. And if you know anything about astronomy, I'm not necessarily talking about astrology here, like star signs and things, but astronomy, the study of the stars or the study of the cosmos, the way the world spins and the way God organized the galaxy that we see with our eyes when we look up in the sky at night, it's, it follows a very specific pattern. There's a lot of ancient cultures, like the Mayans, they based their calendar on the way the stars, well, the stars didn't really move, but in their you know viewpoint, the way the stars moved in the sky, they actually had these what were called reflection pools. They weren't for you to sit and meditate There were actually pools of very still water that were like mirrors for the stars. So there's been ancient civilizations that have studied the stars since the beginning. But these guys, they saw something one night that was different. They saw a star, a new star, something that appeared in the night sky that they had not seen before. And when they saw the star, they started to follow where it led, Very similar to how uh, uh, sailors back in the day would would navigate by the North Star to find their way home, to find where they're at in their geographical location in the middle of the ocean, these men were following a star to see what was causing it. And actually, they had a little bit of an indication because there was a belief in the in that time that when a new star was born, it was, this, it was uh, indicative of a significant birth. There was a significant person born when the star appeared in the sky. And in this case, that belief was correct. A star appeared and it was significant. It was marking the birth of a savior. It was marking the birth of a king, marking the birth of the Messiah, in the Old Testament, there is one very obscure prophecy that does uh, prophesy about a star appearing. It's actually in Numbers chapter 24. If you were here uh, maybe a month ago or longer, we talked about this guy named Balaam on Wednesday night. And he was a non-Jewish prophet. He was, he was a man that, that could foretell the future, but he was not Jewish. And he was hired to curse the children of Israel back in Numbers as they are uh, making their way into the promised land, and the world leaders were nervous. Well, the way the story goes to sum it up, he tried to curse the Israelites, but every time he opened his mouth, he prophesied a blessing over the Israelites. And in his third prophecy, this is what he says. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I look at him, but not near. So what is he saying? He says that he sees somebody that's gonna be coming down the road. And then he says, a star shall appear from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall smash the forehead of Moab and overcome all the sons of Sheth. What is he saying here? He's prophesying of a great king that was gonna come from the lineage of Jacob or was gonna be an Israelite. And he was gonna be a king to set up rule on the earth. He was gonna be a king that would smash the foreheads of all of his enemies. But a star, a star will appear from Jacob. So the magi, they start to follow this star. They encounter King Herod and Herod asks, they, they actually asked Herod, where is the king of the Jews? We saw his star and we know he was born, so where is he? And Herod Wanting, his motivation ultimately was to kill the king of the Jews because he was uh, very jealous and did not want to hand over his, his authority to anyone. And actually, Herod was a really bad guy. He ended up killing so, like some of his sons and just to hang on to the crown. But Herod tried to manipulate the magi and he asked them, well, you go find him. I don't know where he's at. You go find him and then tell me because I want to worship him too. That was a straight-up lie. Herod did not want to worship Jesus. Herod wanted to kill Jesus. But the Magi, they continue to follow this star. What's interesting about this particular star is that it seemed to stop right over the house of Jesus. So that's different than all the other stars because all the other stars follow a motion. They follow a pattern, but this one was leading them to Jesus, very similar to the way that God led the Israelites in the Old Testament with a pillar of fire by night. Pastor mentioned that last week. It's very similar. But they show up and the way the story concludes is they, they walk into the house, they see Jesus, they give him gifts. We'll talk about those in a little bit. They give him gifts and they fall down and worship him and they stay the night and God warns them, don't go back to Herod, go back a different way. And they left. That's the story of the wise men. So it's really short, and it's only recorded in Matthew chapter 2. So, what can we learn from this story? The first point that I want to share with you is that everyone on the face of the planet has questions that seem too big to be answered. Everyone does. The Bible even tells us that there are certain questions that burn within humanity, and there's only one answer. And if the answer is not Jesus, then those questions burn inside of somebody until they find Jesus. These deep questions, you can actually see some of them recorded in Habakkuk chapter 1. By a show of hands, when's, uh, in the last six months, have you heard a, a preacher bring up the book of Habakkuk? <laughs> It's not one often preached out of, but, the, the fir, but it opens with a very raw and very human series of questions. And you might have either asked these questions in your life or people have asked you these questions or you have heard people ask these questions. Listen to the way it opens. Habakkuk records, uh, starting in Habakkuk 1 and verse 2, how long, Lord, have I called for help and you don't hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you don't save. Why do you make me see disaster and make me look at destitution? Yes, devastation and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out confused. What is Habakkuk saying? Habakkuk is asking some deep questions that most of us have probably asked in our life. Where are you, God? Where are you? Are you even listening to me? Do you exist? These are questions that all humans grapple with at some point in their life, and I guarantee, because I've been there, Every one of us, if we think back to certain points in our life, oftentimes very dark and depressing and anxious points in our life, we have asked these same questions. God, I see bad things happening all over the world. Where are you? God, it, sounds, it feels like you're not there. It feels like you're not listening to me. And, and how many people have asked you this as a Christian to challenge your faith? Well, if God is so good... Why do bad things happen in the world? That was the world of Habakkuk. He was a prophet in a a point in Israel's history where they were not living for God. They, they uh, They had turned their back on God. There were bad things happening. Habakkuk looks at the world and he says, well, it looks like the wicked are prospering. Where are you, God? He looks at the world and he says, it looks like justice is never upheld. Where are you, God? He looks at the world and just sees wickedness after wickedness, and it seems like the righteous are suffering. Where are you, God? But you know how God responded to Habakkuk? If you read the next verse, he says, just watch and wait, because I'm about to do a work in your time. I'm, I'm gonna do a work in your people. And oftentimes, when people are asking these questions, they're just looking for a star in the night sky. They're just looking for a glimmer of truth, a glimmer of hope. And this is God's response. As people start to ask these questions, he says, watch and wait, because I'm gonna do a work in your life. I'm gonna do a work in your situation. I'm gonna bring you through. I'm gonna send somebody to minister to you. I'm gonna send you a star that you can follow. What about this question? What is truth? I mean, that's pretty relevant to the world that we're living in right now. What is truth? Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Did you know there was a man in the Bible that asked the exact same question? And his name was Pilate. When he is interviewing Jesus or interrogating Jesus, they get to a certain point, Pilate gets to a certain point in his interrogation where he just is done. Like he doesn't find any fault in Jesus. He's ready to just, he doesn't wanna ask any more questions. He doesn't wanna hear from Jesus anymore. He's just ready to say, look, I'm washing my hands of this. I'm not gonna be involved in this decision. You Jews make the decision. I don't, I, I don't wanna be involved anymore. Well, right before Pilate gets to that point, he says this, Therefore, Pilate said to him, this is John chapter 18, verses 37 and 38. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this purpose, I have been born, and for this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So here's Jesus saying, yes, I'm the king. I am the Messiah. I am the truth. That's what Jesus said to Pilate. Pilate's response to him, what is truth? What's truth? And after saying this, he came out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no grounds at all to charge him in his case. So Pilate, grappling with what Jesus had just said, because Jesus claimed to be the truth, that he testifies to the truth, or in other words, an objective truth, that there is right and wrong, there is morality, there is true and falsehood. And Pilate grappling with this and and having the secular mindset, secular uh, upbringing that he had in the Roman Empire. Well, what is truth? You say that that what you say is true, but what is it? And Pilate, what's interesting about this is he asked the question, but he didn't want to hear the answer. Because he asked the question, What's truth? and then just turns around, leaves it there, doesn't want to hear the explanation. Just says, look, y'all do what you want with him. I don't see anything wrong with him. But this, these questions, I bring these examples to you to show you that the questions that humanity is grappling with right now are not new. They're not new questions. These questions have been around for people in the world Forever. Because this is the result of sin. Sin brings confusion, sin brings death, sin brings pain, sin brings hurt, sin brings sickness. And that's what people deal with. So when they look at the result of sin, people start to ask themselves, what what is truth? It doesn't seem like there's anything objectively true anymore. It doesn't seem like there is a God because there's so much pain and so much struggle. So these questions are not new, but there is an answer to them. And these questions, these deep, uh, burning questions, I wonder if some of these were the ones that the wise men asked too as they're studying the stars. How did God hang these stars? Is God real? Did he really hang these stars in the sky? Did he really create everything that we can see? But the difference is with the wise men, they saw a star, they saw a glimmer, they saw something that could answer those questions and their response was to follow it. They wanted to see truth, and they were willing to follow a star. Like, who's going to hang two years of their life following a star just to see what's on the other end? Many people are not that bought in to really understanding what truth is. But this is the God that we serve because he doesn't just hide from people who want to see truth. He doesn't just hide and say, good luck. I hope you find it and I hope you make it to heaven. That's not the God that we serve. The God we serve sends signs. He sends stars. He sends light. He sends people into dark situations to reveal himself to a lost world. Because he wants people to choose him. He wants people to have the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wants people to be filled with his spirit, baptized in the name of Jesus and repented of their sins. The God that we serve wants people to seek him. So the wise men are looking for answers. They see this star and they follow it. You know, they were people who were seeking for hope. They were seeking for answers. That's point number two. Seek for hope. Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, this is back to the wise men here. He says, after hearing the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. These men had such a desire to see the king, to see the promised one, to see The answer to hope, that when they saw the star, they didn't even see the answer yet. When they saw the star, they were exceedingly rejoiceful. When they saw that there was a higher power, there was a God leading them to the answer of their question, they were excited that a God would lead them to revelation. I mean, how, how, how in love with truth do you have to be to just be excited to follow the breadcrumbs? Like, you're just excited to go on the journey. You're excited that one day you'll see the truth, but you're just happy that you get these little glimmers, these little glimpses of truth. It's beautiful, their, their heart, the, what they wanted to see. And the star led them. The scripture says that, It went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. That's why I say it was very similar to the language in the Old Testament where God was leading the children of Israel with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He was leading them into the promised land. God was leading the wise men in that same way with a star to a promise. The promise of salvation, the promise of a king. And their road was a long one. Their road was long. Uh, did you know that the nativity scene that we enjoy to put up in our houses is not 100% historically accurate? Did you know that? Because the wise men were not there when Jesus was a baby. The Bible says that the star appeared when Jesus was born, okay? Okay. And if these were men of the east, nobody knows for real. This is just an interesting side note because you know I'm a nerd, so I like this stuff, right? Just an interesting side note. This has no like bearing on like biblical salvation or anything. It's just interesting to me. But these were men of the east. I don't know how far east they were, but they were eastern men. That's actually what the word oriental means, is people of the east. So I don't know how far they were, how far east. But some historical or some historians, Bible scholars, whatever, think that it could have taken them about a year and a half to two years to get to Jesus. So imagine that. You're on a journey for truth that takes a year and a half or two years. You're following a star every night for a year and a half to two years. I don't know if that's 100% correct, but it's just an interesting little side note. They were that passionate about seeing the fulfillment of this answer that they were willing to spend two years of their life Just following a star, that blows me away. But this is is kind of the pattern that we see in Scripture. It seems, especially from this story, that God reveals himself in ways, number one, that people understand and can connect with. God shows up in ways that an individual or a group of people can understand and connect with. Think about this. When Jesus was born, the Magi saw a star because they were astronomers. They studied the sky. They knew what that meant when a star appeared. But the shepherd saw an angel. And they understood what that meant. So God shows up in ways that people can understand. For some, maybe it's a coworker that just says like, hey, did you know Jesus loves you? For others, maybe it's, they just happen to, they're flipping through a book in the bookstore and they see somebody mention something about the Bible and it spurs some kind of question that now they wanna go pick up a Bible and see if that's true or not. God shows up in ways that people can connect with. The way God showed up to me is probably not the same way that he showed up for you, but it is the same God. So that's number one, is God reveals himself in a way that people can understand and connect with But then also, when God shows up, the people that he shows up to, and he gives everybody an opportunity, but the people he shows up to have to choose to follow. They have to choose to seek. And yeah, you might be thinking about some scriptures where God says that he hides himself from the wicked and the unrighteous. Let me say this, that God does not hide himself from those who are seeking him. God does not hide himself from those who want to see his face, who are searching for truth. Rather, God reveals himself to those people. So that's number two is you've got to choose to follow. And then number three, oftentimes on our road to Jesus, we catch a glimpse of truth, we follow it, and that glimpse of truth leads us to full revelation if we continue to follow it. But I found this really interesting, the way that that God led the wise men to himself. Another thing that's interesting to me is that God shows up oftentimes in really dark moments. Can you see a star in the daytime other than the sun? (laughs) No, and think about this. The wise men followed a star. That means they traveled at night. They weren't traveling during the day. Well, maybe they were, I don't know. Maybe they were just walking during the day, but they got their bearings at night. I don't know. But think about this, and maybe think about your own life. Doesn't it oftentimes seem that God shows up when we're just at our absolute lowest? I don't know if it's that God shows up then. He's always there. But maybe in those moments when it's really dark, that's when we can really start to see the light. The night sky, you can look at that as a picture of just the abyss of untruth and trouble that the world has. And yet there was a star in that, that these men could follow to a revelation. And I think, uh, I'll tell you a story as we wrap up about this. But but I think even when I look at my life, the, the questions that I was asking, is God real, is God there? Does he love me? Does he care about me? Those were questions I was asking when I was struggling with whatever it is, anxiety, depression, fear, like I, I was having trouble in life. That's when I was asking those questions and that's when God started to show up or when I started to see God was in those moments. When I started to, when, the, when it was so dark around me that I could see the truth. I could see that glimpse, that star that led me to Jesus. Maybe it's the same for you, but I know Jesus said this in John chapter 8 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That means that at At one point we were walking in darkness but when Jesus shows up we don't have to walk in darkness anymore we can walk in light Jesus also said this in John 12 verse 32 and I if I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself what does that mean that means that God gives everyone an opportunity to follow him That means that God sends a star or sends a glimmer of truth or sends a person to everyone's life on the face of the planet here and gives everyone an opportunity to follow him. He draws, not us. He draws. And it's very much like like a moth to the flame. You've heard that that, uh, saying before, a moth to a flame. When Jesus starts to show up, people are attracted to that. Think about this, even when you're like, in your own workplace or in school or whatever, when you are really walking in the love and peace of God, people are drawn to that. People are, they want to be around you. They want to hang out with you. They want to talk to you. They... For some people that are dealing with some real darkness, maybe it's agitating to them, but for the vast majority of people, they want to be around that light because, and I'm going to connect a lot to what Pastor was talking about last week, because with that light, it brings not just light so you can see, but there's warmth. It's inviting. It's This world is cold. Like People are drawn to a warm place. People are drawn to light when it's dark. Nobody wants to sit in the cold, dark nothingness. Nobody does everybody wants to be able to see and wants to be warm and be around people who love and care about them that's the kind of drawing that Jesus does and he was lifted up that scripture that I read for you he was talking about him dying on the cross being lifted up on the cross to die for all of humanity and because he did that now he draws people to himself but point number three after you, you see that, you, after people are asking those questions and, and after they start to seek for hope, the last thing that I want to share with you, and most of you know this already, but Jesus is the answer to those questions. Jesus is the answer to darkness. He's the answer to cold. He, it's him. And that's what the wise men found out when they followed the star, until it stood right over the house where Jesus was. I wonder how close it was to the house. I don't know. But it stopped. It stood right over the house of Jesus. And they saw the answer to their question. Their question was, who's the king of the Jews? And when they walked in, they saw a two-year-old kid, one and a half, however old he was, a two-year-old kid, And their response was not like, well, this wasn't what I thought it was gonna be. (laughs) Their response wasn't like, interesting. Well, that was anticlimactic. No. When they saw Jesus, I wonder what they felt in that moment. I don't know. I wonder, I, I don't know what they felt. But they see Jesus, their first response was these grown men Fell on their face at this two year old's feet. Now, children like kings being born, like that was a common response just because even though it was a two year old, like it was a king. But still, what they were, they weren't just bowing down to an earthly king that was gonna rule after Herod. They weren't just bowing down to that. They were bowing down to the two year old body of the king of the universe. That was the answer to their question. It was the Messiah. It was the king of the cosmos. It was the one who hung the stars. It was the one who put that star in the sky, that two-year-old little kid, and they bow down at his feet, and they give him gifts. There were so many prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is probably the most common that you could probably quote. You remember the questions that Habakkuk was asking before God started to prophesy to him or through him. You remember he was saying, "Man, there's just a lot of injustice in the world. There's just a lot of pain, a lot of violence." This is the answer to all of it. Jesus is said to uh, that there will be no increase of his government of peace, or there will be no incre- or no end to the increase of his government or of peace. He'll establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. So when the wise men entered the house, they recognized that this was the king. This was the one born. This was the Messiah. And they brought specific gifts to him. Does anybody know the three gifts? Love it. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think this is really interesting. I've read a couple different Accounts of this or a couple different commentaries. It it is interesting, the gifts that they brought. Maybe they were normal for that time. I don't really know, but some commentaries, I tend to agree with them, uh, talk about the symbolic nature of these gifts. The gold was a representation of Jesus' kingship, his royalty, his authority on the earth. Frankincense was a... uh, of material often used in the temple in incense on the altar of incense. It was symbolic of spiritual worship or of his deity, that he is God in flesh. And then that myrrh, good old myrrh, the main thing that it was used for in those ancient times was embalming the dead. It's interesting, why would they bring that to a kid unless it represented that this kid was gonna die? These three gifts... What they really show to me, whether that symbolically is true or not, I don't know. Take that with you and pray about it. But what it really shows me, though, is that they encountered revelation when they met Jesus. They, they had some understanding of the level of authority that this child had. They had some kind of understanding that this child was going to do something great on the earth. They encountered revelation. So as they followed the star, the star was just a glimmer of truth. It wasn't full truth. It was just guiding them on their path. And when they met Jesus, that's when they had a revelation and they understood this is the king. This child is going to do great things. This person named Jesus is going to do amazing things on the earth. And oftentimes that's how our path is when we come to Jesus. Maybe it starts with a little truth or it starts with, uh, with, with studying the Bible a little bit or starting to read it and, and we go down that path. And then maybe somebody comes to us and speaks into our life and expounds on that truth and gives us a little bit more and a little bit more until one day as we're praying or maybe we're in a church service or maybe we're in the grocery store and somebody else comes up and starts talking to us. One day, everyone that's following the path of truth meets Jesus And it's in that moment that revelation happens. What is just absolutely mind-blowing to me is that we have a God that was willing to come to this earth to die for our sins. That is mind-blowing to me because Jesus is even recorded saying, that a man laying down his life for a friend, that kind of love is rare among humans. But I lay down my life for you. The love of God. Did you know that Jesus loves you that much? Did you know that it doesn't matter where you came from, Jesus still loves you that much? Did you know That we serve a God who didn't just send his son to die, but rather he put flesh on himself and came to this earth and bled his own blood and died his own death to save us from sin. That's the kind of God that we serve. Philippians chapter two, verses seven and eight, it records this, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Think about this. The God that formed the very hands of the men that beat him. He subjected himself to his own creation to be mocked, beaten, scorned, slapped across the head, put a purple robe and joking about him being the king. He made those men. He formed them in their mother's womb and yet he was obedient to the death of the cross. Jesus even said that, Uh, that no man takes his life, but he lays it down himself. He is the good shepherd, and he lays down his life for his sheep. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 say, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. While we were yet sinners... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing that any human can do to earn the love of God. There's nothing that any human can do to earn the grace of God or the mercy of God. There's nothing that we can do. But we serve a God that loves his creation so much that he was willing to die at the very hands of his creation in order to build a bridge between humanity and him, in order for people to have a relationship with him, in order for people to enter eternity with him. He allowed himself to die the death that all of us deserved. If that's not love, like, I don't know what is. And that kind of love, rarely if ever do you see that among people. But that's the kind of love that our God, who is perfect, shows towards his flawed humanity. Man, what love. Jesus said this, and then I'm gonna wrap up. I got a quick story I wanna tell you as we wrap up. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. uh, And then I'm gonna skip 16 and read 17 and 18. It says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. This is Jesus wrapping up his parable on the good shepherd. (laughs) Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then verse verse 17, it says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my father. Jesus died willfully for our sins. He died, he bled, he was the perfect sacrifice. That's what the book of Hebrews shares with us. He was the perfect sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. But I am so thankful that he didn't just stay on the cross and stay in the grave. It is the fact that he took his life back and rose out of the grave, that now we can walk through that same process of Jesus spiritually and be raised up into newness of life. We can be filled with his holy living spirit today because he got up out of the grave. He didn't just die, but he died and set his authority over death, hell, and the grave, and then rose again. So now one day there will be a resurrection, and those who are filled with his living spirit will be resurrected with him up up. in the sky, that's what 1 Thessalonians promises us, that we'll be caught up with him one day and we'll be able to enter into eternity with our creator. How amazing is that promise? And that is the person that the wise men saw that day. The one who was gonna do all of that, that's who they saw. They followed that star right to Jesus. I got a quick story that I wanna share with you while we wrap up. I have a friend. I have permission to tell his testimony, and I will just say that my friend's name is Nick. I have a friend named Nick, and he was a very successful man. He owned a lot of rental properties. He, owned, he was always in martial arts. He owned a bunch of martial arts dojos. He was a big dude. Big guy. I mean, When I mean money, I mean money, okay? He had everything he could ever want, and he was so successful. But he was still struggling. He was asking those questions, God, are you real? And if you are real, then why am I so depressed all the time? Why am I so anxious all the time? This guy had all kinds of stuff. What did he have to be depressed about? But he struggled with depression heavily to the point where even as a very successful person, he got stuck in in drugs and, and alcohol and and his family didn't know about this. So this is what he would do. At night when everybody went to bed, he would stay awake and go out in his garage and just like smoke crack, shoot heroin, drink and just pass out in his garage. He did that regularly. And he said that he did that whenever he really felt extra depressed and extra anxious and didn't know how to deal with it. And at this point, like he was He would pray and he would say, God, if you're real, like, why am I still struggling with this? And he said, like, he just never, never felt like God was hearing him, never felt like, like God was even real. Till one day, one night specifically, he was doing the same thing. He was in his garage. He was about to do whatever. And he said that he had a pipe in one hand and he had not started taking drugs yet, but he had a pipe in one hand and he was crying, just crying, like didn't know how to deal with all the pain. And, and did I mention that this was a very successful man? And he had a wife and kids. Like we, we, we would look at somebody like that and just think they are fine. They have it all together. But he was struggling so bad in his heart. And he had that pipe and he was crying. And he asked, he didn't really ask a question this time. But he said something different. He said, God, if you are real, I need you right now. Keep in mind, he had not taken any drugs when he said that. And he said immediately, his like everything fell away. In his vision, it was completely dark. He he wasn't in his garage anymore. Like he, he was seeing a vision. And according to him, he saw Jesus standing in front of him. Nail scars, I mean everything. And I tell you that he did not take drugs yet on purpose because he would take some hallucinogenics and he would go places. But this night was different. He was completely sober when he saw this vision. And he saw Jesus just standing there. Jesus did not say anything to him. And he said he fell on his knees and he said, I cannot do this on my own. I need you right now. And he said that Jesus reached out and touched his shoulder, and immediately he started speaking in tongues. Immediately, his addiction and desire went away, and he has not struggled with it since. And this has been years. Immediately, one touch, one encounter with Jesus in the darkest night of this man's life totally changed him. It totally changed the trajectory of where he was gonna end up, it totally changed his eternal destination. Everything changed for this man. And I want to tell you where he's at right now. I just texted him a couple days ago. He's out in Mexico right now, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling his testimony, baptizing people in the name of Jesus and laying hands on them. And I'm telling you this, he tells me all the time that he sees healing. He sees people delivered. He sees people filled with the spirit. He baptizes them in the name of Jesus. This man... But what I'm telling you here, this really happens when we are, when people are in the darkest moment of their life and they are just looking for an answer to the hopelessness that is in them. If they call out to Jesus, He will show up and He will change their life forever. That's the God that we serve. He's a good God, He's a God that delivers and heals. He's a God that brings recovery. And he's a God that sets people free. And that's the God the wise men saw that day when they bowed down to worship. I don't know if they knew that he was God in flesh. I don't know that. All I know is that they met Jesus and things changed. Let's all stand and wrap up today. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for for this scripture that we can learn from. I'm so thankful, God, that even when everything looks absolutely hopeless and the night is so dark, there's always hope. There's always an answer to hopelessness, and the answer is Jesus. The answer's not a what, it's a who. It's you. Lord, I know many of us have already encountered that and and have already been filled with hope and with your spirit and are walking in peace and love and, and joy and in a sound mind. But there are people that we encounter every single day that are walking through the darkest night of their life. They're walking through the great abyss of falsehood and pain and struggle. And I pray, Lord, that you would let us be a light. Lord, maybe allow us to be the star in the night that leads people to you. God, help us to remember to let our light shine before men. Pastor preached it last week that that you said first that you're the light of the world, but then you've entrusted that light to your people, and you've said now you are the light of the world, meaning the people, a city on a hill that cannot be hid, Lord. Let our light shine before men, because maybe as we walk through our day-to-day life, we're the star in the sky for somebody that can lead people to you, Jesus. I pray that you would help us to walk in love and in confidence of your love every day so that people are attracted to that. So when people ask us, why why do you have hope? Or why why do you have peace? Why are you smiling all the time? That we can say, well, I know the answer to that question and that answer is Jesus. Lord, and if there's anybody here that, that feels like they're walking through a very dark night i pray lord that you would be that you would light it up for them light up the night jesus I pray that if somebody needs deliverance, that you would step in and deliver. I pray if somebody needs emotional healing, you would step in and heal. I pray if somebody needs physical healing, you would step in and touch their body and heal them, God. Because there is no limit to what you can do, Jesus. You are limitless. You can do all things. You can deliver from any addiction. You can deliver from any pain. You can deliver from any chains, God. You can open the prison to those who are bound. So Lord, I pray that over anybody here today or listening online that feels like they're struggling and they don't know the answer, Lord. You are the answer. I pray you'd step into their situation and that you would make them whole in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. If you feel comfortable, feel free to Come hang out at this altar for a little bit, just as a, as a sign, a step of faith, if you will. There's nothing magical. It's just a way that we respond and show that we want to step out in faith. We want to engage our faith and just pray about what we've heard today. If if you've come with something and you feel like it's really dark and hard to carry, I I just ask that you would come forward and lay it down at Jesus' feet and let him shine his light in your life. If you're here and you're already walking in the light, I pray you'd come forward and ask that God would lead you to somebody who needs the light. Because we serve a wonder-working God and he can do miracles. Let's just spend some time praying together today. In Jesus' name.
1: step down into darkness open my eyes let me see beauty that made this heart So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together.